Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are here today to talk about epistles. So we've been talking a lot about Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, um, how Hebraic thought fits into that, um, and how we can be looking at the Bible as a whole through the lens of the way the biblical authors thought whenever they were writing it. And now we're kind of returning more to the New Testament. And a lot of people may say, well, you know, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, um, that's Hebraic thinking. But actually, that's not the case. Um, Hebraic thought is very important as we look at the New Testament, especially the epistles. So um, what would you say would be a good starting place for us as we start thinking about the epistles? Um, well, I think uh, we were just having a conversation with somebody on staff here at Passages about this question about the New Testament's use of the Old, which is a very common way of phrasing, like, how do the New Testament authors use the Old Testament? And I was telling this person how I, I was a little bit frustrated by that concept, almost as if the Old Testament was just a bunch of buckets and you can come and they were like going, oh, yeah, that'll do. Uh, give me one of those wrenches, you know, and... Um, and I think the way the, the New Testament authors see themselves is extending the logic and the thinking of, of the Hebrew Bible into their thinking. Um, and, you know, I would say they saw themselves as fully guided by the Holy Spirit, fully biblically literate, and so they could speak fluently into the situation that surrounded them. Um, and so I think one way we could picture what we see in the epistles is um, – these are kind of like, let me say this so that you can understand it, right? Um, like, okay, I know you're not from Judea. You weren't raised a Hebrew. You're a Gentile who lives in Pontus or someplace in Phrygia or someplace out in the middle of nowhere, way outside of uh, the Holy Land. And I know you were raised in this Greco-Roman culture, but like you can actually understand this Hebraic thought as well. So let me put it in a way that you can understand it. Uh, and I think we see little elements of this. The, the way I like to think of, you know, uh, the epistles are essentially sermons. Um, they're meant to be read all in one sitting. They're delivered by a carrier who is trained to read them. Um, so this is, we see this at the end of Romans, but this idea that you don't just hand somebody a papyrus that has the whole epistle on it. Um, you hand it to them and then you walk through with them. How would you deliver this to a public audience? Which means that, again, the natural habitat of an epistle is to listen to it, not to read it with your eyes, but to listen to it, and to listen to it in a group where one person is reading to a whole group, to a gathered group, and to listen to the whole thing as one sermon. Uh, and I've done this before when I was a pastor, where I just read through all of First Peter and give a few comments and a few like updates of what it means for us today, but just let Peter's voice be heard in the room. Um so there, there's this strong, like, let me help you to understand. So there's a big debate in Pauline scholarship, like, what is the center of Paul's thinking? What does Paul think is like the nugget that all Christians should get their, their minds around and their hearts around and their lives around? And the consensus amongst scholars is there isn't a centerpiece to Paul's thinking. You might think like, oh, it's the cross. Uh, some people have argued that. Some people argue that it's the ascension, um, that it's his lived life. Um, but the most successful arguments about the center of Paul's thinking are actually 
the uh, the center of Paul's thinking is completely dependent upon who he's talking to. So he speaks to the Romans very differently, who he's never met, very differently to the Corinthians, very differently to the Thessalonians, who he has lived with. Um, and and that seems to guide more than anything else the language he uses, the metaphors he uses, how he talks to them, how he deploys the Hebraic thought of the Hebrew Bible into their circumstance. Um, so I think that's the kind of like the setup for epistles that we often miss because we like to take them bit by bit by bit, drip and drop, rather than gulping them down and listening to – let them then deluge into our thinking uh, in, in a public setting. Mm, that makes sense. So. The, the you mentioned the structure of an epistle is very much um, like a kind of an all in one thing. Like you don't, it's not necessarily supposed to be broken up yeah. like chapter by chapter, analyzed verse by verse necessarily. Um, what are some ways that we can, as we learn from the epistles, as we read them um, over and over again, how can we kind of reframe the way that we are approaching them in light of that? Um, yeah, that's a really good question because that's the hard question. Uh, we need to reframe how we're hearing them uh, in a helpful way. And I think part of it is maybe just to reframe the way we think about them. Um, so I think epistles, it wouldn't be wrong. People will argue about these things, but it wouldn't be wrong to say the epistles are part of the wisdom tradition. It's it's somebody getting over your shoulder saying, hey, there's this thing you're seeing. Let me tell you about the invisible forces behind that are working here that you need to understand. Like a scientist would. Let me tell you about the invisible forces. You can't see them, but trust me, they're there. And this helps to explain why you're experiencing the things that you're experiencing. Um, that When somebody's doing that, that's a wisdom tradition. Um, and so thinking of these things as wisdom tradition, which means you need to listen over time to different epistles and not look for, again, the thing, not piece them out as if they are like, okay, Paul's got three points here and we need to nail these points, but really think like Paul is trying to craft our vision. He's, you know, he's a lens maker who's trying to carve the right kind of lens for you that's different from the right kind of lens for me and saying, try these on. Do you see what I'm talking about? Um, which means he's never employing his audience to merely think about something. He's uh, He will talk about how they think about things, often how they think about them wrongly or how they misunderstand. He's always uh, – um, what's that word when you're pleading, right? He's always pleading with them to do things, right, to be the kind of people that they're supposed to be in the world. As, again, so this is me like Paul is just straight up doing Hebraic thought. Um, Peter does the same thing. Do these kinds of things in order to become these kinds of people which will also rearrange your thinking about those things. Um, and any attempt to think the right things apart from doing these things that we're called to do, right? I mean, this is First uh, Corinthians uh, where it's like, look, there are certain things you just can't do and there are certain things that you need to be doing in order to be the kind of people that you're supposed to be united. And we can come back and talk about First Corinthians, Corinthians a little bit more because it's an interesting test case. Um, but – Mostly, I maybe if we could I reframe the vision of what an epistle is, it's kind of like when Jesus on the road to Emmaus uh, has those two disciples that it doesn't say they didn't recognize him. It says they were kept from knowing him. So there's a sense that Jesus seems to be blinding them a little bit. And then they're like, he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they're like, haven't you heard what happened in Jerusalem? You know, and there were reports from women, but, you know, women, we don't believe them apparently. So, um and it says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them, right? And I think 
you can think of that as like, that's the content for a good epistle. These two people who have this particular situation, they need to understand what the Hebrew scriptures and what God's thinking on these things through his prophets would have to say to them today uh, in this particular context. So whatever, we don't know what Jesus said to them. We just know that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to explain to them. Um, whatever he said, that would be the kind of content we would expect to find in the the, the epistle, a wisdom tradition. Um, the the oldest version of an epistle actually isn't in the New Testament. Uh, there is one epistle. I mean, maybe there's more that we could think about, but there's at least one epistle uh, in this mode written by Jeremiah uh, to the exiles. So Jeremiah is sitting in Jerusalem, um, writing to the exiles over in Babylon who've gone out in the earlier uh, exiles before the fall of Jerusalem. And essentially, he just says to them, like, look, I know you got lots of questions about what, what you should be doing. Um but, you know, tuck in, buy, sell, plant, build, marry, given marriage, like uh, pray for the welfare of Babylon and its welfare. You find your welfare and those hideous prophets around you who are saying it's only going to be two years, don't listen to them. They're lying. What, what God has said about 70 years is going to come pass in 70 years. And again, it's just like location, specific situation, specific questions that are being asked by that community that he's seeking to answer. And part of his answer is just like, clearly there were some questions put to Jeremiah that he's responding to. We don't know what they were, but his response is like, settle in for the long ride, be the kind of people you're supposed to be over there. The kind of people you're supposed to be over here that you weren't, which is why you're over there. Be those kind of people over there and tuck in. It's going to be a long ride. Anybody who says otherwise is a liar. Don't listen to them. Uh, And so, and we'll talk about, well, how do people know who's lying and who's not when it comes to profits? Cause that becomes a tricky issue. Um, so there's some way in which I don't want us to think of the New Testament epistles as radically different than what's going on in the Hebrew Bible. They're just an extension of the thinking and even the style of thinking together with other people through the form of an epistle, a letter guiding you wisely to uh, to live out the Torah's teaching. That's interesting. I, I think probably um, this comes as a new information to me too that I hadn't thought about before, but I think a lot of people as well will probably – they, whenever they think about epistles, they think about the New Testament. They don't think about right. Jeremiah 29. Um, and I know we talked about, I think in a previous episode, how Jeremiah 29 11 is often taken right. so oh, out yeah, of context. Oh, yeah, I forgot the, and, uh, the one um, line there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is it, um, you know, and obviously like with the the very, like it's, they're so specific. They're written to specific people at a specific time, mm-hmm. at a specific place. And it's the same with the epistles in the New Testament as well. And yet I think there's times whenever we may tend to apply the the entirety of all the details and everything right. to our current context without realizing that those were written to a very specific people for very specific reasons. So how can we look at the, the content of those epistles knowing that there's a specific nature in which they were written to a specific right. people? How can we get value from those um, given kind of the function that they have? I think we have to be very careful in, in your outlining this, like how we apply these, how, how much we identify with the characters in the epistles. If we're working with the characters in the stories now, we have the characters in the epistles. And specifically, you know, uh, I want to talk about 1 Corinthians as a great test case, right? So um, there's a sense in which we should identify with 1 Corinthians um, as fellow humans. Fellow humans are Jesus followers who are confused about what all that means about their lives. And Paul wants to say, 
look it it actually means everything to everything you do like everything you touch and and everything you act upon that's it's all bundled up here and god cares about it um i i'm the the idea that's coming specifically to my mind is uh well what about things like when paul says i don't i don't permit women to speak in in that setting right and and so i think there's a way in which people will take that as like okay paul there you go Paul said X, therefore Y, right? Interestingly, I don't know of many churches that are just like, yeah, women aren't even allowed to speak. They need to sit there silently. And if they have questions, when they get home to their husband, he can explain it to them, which is what Paul says there, right? Uh, uh, Interestingly, I think most churches have realized that that was a very specific uh, situation he seemed to be addressing and was not a universal rule to be applied across the church. And it couldn't have been because... He has women co-laborers, and he's sending his epistles to be read by women who are trained to be read uh, by women uh, to the congregations. Um, and so there's a sense where it doesn't kind of jive with what his general view of men and women in the church are. Uh, and, and so and obviously people are going to debate these, these issues, but I think uh, the, the maneuver we want to avoid – is if we think of Paul and his epistles, or we can talk about Peter and James and Jude and John and the letter of the Hebrews, um, as they're reasoning with us, they're kind of arguing with us like, hey, listen, I know you think this, or I know you've gotten caught up in this issue, but I'm trying to tell you this is what you should be doing. Um, then just as when we have those kind of arguments with real people in our lives, don't get hung up on one thing they said, right? I've said this before. Like, do you care about what I said? Because they say, but you said. It's like, okay, I was speaking too quick. I didn't think it through. Um, I know that I said that, but here's what I mean. And the way we determine what somebody means is we look at the totality of their thinking uh, across Scripture, including Paul's actions recorded in Acts, how he recounts those actions in his epistles. And then how he thinks about himself and portrays himself to the church, himself to the church. And so, excuse me, that I think the, uh, when we think about epistles, I don't know why, but our brain gets locked down into these are propositional truths argued sequentially, you know, one way through the, uh, to the next. And I've actually worked out some of the logic on Paul's teaching. I tried to find, speaking of syllogisms, like a linear logical argument, I actually tried to work out through symbolic logic, a single like line of reasoning in Paul where he, where he actually makes a fully logical argument that makes sense and follows the rules of logic. Turns out he doesn't. Um, and any, in these little places where he does, I mean, obviously he's using the rules of reason in general, but where he actually does make what seem to look like rigorous logical arguments, they actually require you to supply so many premises and so many narratives. He's applying to all these stories and narratives and he just assumes you know all of these things. It's it's not really the way we think of logical argumentation today. And I don't think it's for the worse. I think it's for the better. I think that makes it you know a sound argument is that he's p- tugging and pulling and appealing to their lives, what they eat, how, what they drink, how they act towards the foreigner, to the stranger, towards the poor, towards the noble, um, and appealing to history of Jesus' acts, God's act in history through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's pulling all this together. So yeah, of course it's reasonable, rational, but it's rational in like this really big picture way, what we call abductive reasoning. Like he's pulling everything in that he can to like going, can you not see what I'm trying to show you? Um, and I think if, if we picture epistles more like that, 
it makes it seem a little less sensical to then read a sentence or two and say, like, let's spend 45 minutes this Sunday just talking about these two sentences. Unless everybody in the room knows that whole epistle so well that they can just kind of, like, drop down in that, that sentence or two and follow with you, then that, that might be a dangerous activity. Mm. Or it should be done very carefully if that's what we're going to do. Right, right. Well, this is really interesting. I know that especially since the epistles were written often to Gentiles or non-Jews to kind mm. of connect them to the way of Jesus or the, the what became known as the Christian faith, yeah. it's kind of a good connecting point for us, would you say, to Hebraic thought in the Old Testament or, or the Hebrew Bible. Um, as we kind of close out this topic on epistles, is there anything you'd like to say kind of about the, the connection that they have between us and then um, Hebraic thinking, Hebraic thought um, that we see in, in the Hebrew Bible? I think I think the um, that's a good way to put it is the connection that we have. It really is a uh, it's a shared point of connection because God is also trying to speak to us through these scriptures today, saying, "Hey, I know you Americans, you you know Western Europeans, you uh, North Africans, like I know you don't think about things exactly this way, uh, but if I could say it, so, we can see the moves that Paul and Peter and John and James and Jesus are making. I know this is how you think about it, so let me let me say something to you in the way." What we're witnessing is what we described at the beginning of this podcast, the very first episode, is people who are fully biblically literate trying to extend the Bible's teaching and thinking or the biblical author's thinking into the present circumstance. What's interesting is even Jesus has to do that. Say like, okay, the Torah did not talk about currency exchange in the tabernacle. Uh, but he believes that there's a very clear line of reasoning that extends that thinking into the taber- the, the temple of his day, the Herodian temple, that makes what they're doing uh, moral, uh, immoral uh, um, for various reasons, that it might ostracize the foreigner or ostracize uh, the poor in some way. So, um, so even Jesus is – Spends his time becoming biblically literate. He had to learn the scriptures as well. If if Luke is correct that he grew in stature and wisdom before God and before men, which is a quote about Samuel the prophet as well. That's a that's a word for word quote over from Samuel. Um, and he did so in order to extend its thinking today. Um, you have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, you have thought this way about scripture, but I'm saying this is what scripture was always saying, and you have you've misunderstood it, or you've misapplied it, or you've been hypocritical in how much you apply it. Um, and in that same breath, he says, don't think for a second that I've come to do away with the Torah. Uh, all of it will, it will be fulfilled in what I'm doing. And so what we see in the epistles is models of speaking fluently into different times and circumstances. So 1 Corinthians is a final example. Um, 1 Corinthians, the, the, the church at Corinth seems to be the most diverse group of people um, that Paul is encountering. Um, it, uh, the other epistles are dealing with more similar groups of people. They're not identical to each other, but First Corinthians seems to be the widest variety of act- activity. It also seems to be the wildest group of people, right? So anytime you find yourself saying, hey, stop having sex with your stepmom. This is not helping things in the church, right? Stop getting drunk on the communion wine. Uh, like, can't you do that at home? I mean, the, the line of reason it is like, if you're going to do that, just do it at home, right? He's a very practical uh, thinker, right? Um, and everything that he does, everything that he's chastising them for, quit quit having these heyday charismatic events where everybody's doing everything and it's all crazy and chaos. 
Uh, and if you look at the uh, – or and also quit living into the philosophy of this world, right? The Roman philosophy. Uh, it's not absolutely wrong, but it's not what we're doing. We're on this different train going in a slightly different direction. So we need to amend that and get you on the Hebraic train, getting you thinking fully Hebraic. Everything he says there, he he's, uh, adds these comments in because these create disunity. These divide you. These fragment you. These corrupt the community that God is creating. And for Corinth, this would be a precious problem for them. They're already a very fragmented, diverse community, and these things are all seeking to further fragment them. He, he keeps on reminding them, for the sake of unity, the unity of the body, it's one body. The hand can't say to the, to the foot, I have no need of you. I forget which organs are involved there, but different limbs and organs. We all need each other. Um, and he keeps on trying to get them uh, back around the warm glow of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus so that they can understand who they properly are, so they can see this invisible kingdom of God that has come and is still coming through this wild bunch at Corinth. I mean, they seem to be a really wild bunch. Um, an almost unbelievable group of people that God could bring the kingdom through. Uh, he's trying to get them to see themselves in the world differently than, than they presently see it. Not because there's a like a magical view of it. It's uh, it's a transformed view in the same way that a doctor looks at an x-ray very differently than I do because their body has been transformed to see something that I can't see, even though we're looking at the exact same thing. And I, I think the epistles are constantly trying to do that with the church. And so that's the best way we should receive them and hear them. Um, and you can do it other ways. You can preach on a paragraph from Romans, um, but just be aware that that's what you're doing. And hopefully that's happening in a more normal habitat where we're hearing all of Romans in one shot. And so because we've heard all of Romans in one shot several times, we can now drop down into a paragraph here and there. That makes sense. Great. Well, hope this has been helpful to everyone. Uh, Maybe a a fresh take on the epistles. Uh, We're excited to move into our next episode, episode 12, our very last one in this series. So be sure not to miss it. At the end of the next episode, we will be going going through a few um, last last thoughts, some resource recommendations, um, kind of some advice on where to go from here, because we've been talking about a lot of a lot of really really meaty topics. (laughs) So we want to make sure that we can give you what you need to move on from here and really start taking this journey um, on your own and and studying the Bible and reading the Bible more thoroughly. So In community. In community. That's right. That's (laughs) on your own. That's not what we were been saying. Yeah, it's the cliche that rolls off our tongue. Right, right, right. right. So in community, out loud. (laughs) Awesome. So be sure not to miss that one. We're also going to be talking about the nature of truth. So uh, really important stuff. We will meet you here again one last time this is going to be really controversial the truth one yeah yeah people are going to be like wait oh so make sure you don't miss it so biblical come for the controversy (laughs) stay for the truth (laughs) awesome see you guys thanks for listening to discover your roots this podcast is brought to you by the passages team and is made possible by our generous donors if you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit passagesisrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. 
Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.